Are you amazed when people drive their vehicles for over 250,000 miles? How often should you change your engine oil? What techniques can improve your mileage? Would an expensive fuel injection cleaning improve your engine performance? This is Car Guy with Brett Beechler of Beechler's Vehicle Care and Repair. Find out how to substantially reduce your cost per mile and extend the longevity of your vehicles. Welcome to Car Guy with Brett Beechler on PeoriaLife.com. Good morning, Central Illinois. Welcome to another edition of The Car Guy on PeoriaLife.com. My name is Greg McCoy, and I'm here with the star of the show, Brett Beechler. How are you doing, Brett? Fantastic, Greg. How are you doing? Good morning. Wonderful. It's going to be a great day today. It is. This whole week's going to be nice. It's going to be beautiful. Yep. Well, uh, today I think we're going to talk about something, uh, kind of a unique feature. Not too many people know about this. Know what this word means, but we're going to talk about wallet flushes. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are. Interesting topic. But before we get to that, I wanted to go back to something we talked about last week. And I guess you're never too old to learn something. And I learned something last week. Good. Uh, my whole life, of course, I'm very familiar with jumper cables. Everybody has jumper cables. Well, maybe not everybody. Not everybody. Everybody knows how to use them. Well, maybe not everybody. <laughs> not everybody. <laughs> but what most of us have used them many times. But uh, you brought up a concept which I, frankly, had never heard of before, which is pretty cool which is the battery jumper box or a jumper pack. Yes. And uh, so, of course, I ran right out and started uh, looking at Walmart and checking online and so forth. And what, the, the Internet is a good thing and a bad thing. Yes, it is. How many hours <laughs> you spend researching this, Greg? <laughs> uh, unfortunately, more than I should have. But the, the good news about the Internet is there's a tremendous amount of information out there. The bad news is there's a tremendous amount of information out there. Yes, I <laughs> totally agree. And trying to sort through all that stuff is just... Difficult, yes, to say the least. And I found that these battery jumper boxes, uh, there's a tremendous range of amperage ratings all mm-hmm. the way from like 50 down to 25, all the way up to 4,000, everything in between, different brand names, different styles. Uh, so I, I didn't know if you could give us a brief guidance if, for somebody who did want to buy one, and I'm going to, um, amperage rating, uh, anything else you might want to give to guide somebody through that mm-hmm. purchase process. So the the key to remember on all these is you want to look at what's your benefit of purchasing this. Are you going to jumpstart your car once a year? Is it going to be hopefully never? Uh, You want to look at the benefit. So you don't want to overspend and buy something like Greg, you had mentioned before the show, a a 4,000 cold cranking amp jump pack. Totally ridiculous for consumers like us. Um, You do not need to spend that kind of money on it. Um, And you had mentioned one that had a couple hundred, which I believe would be sufficient. Now, we have two or three of them at our business. We've been using them for years. We got rid of having a second car, go out, have to go out and jumpstart vehicles. It is almost daily that we have to use these jump packs to move cars around our lot. Um, we buy the more durable ones. I believe it's in the range of probably in the 250 to 350 range. Um, but you have to remember, you have multiple employees using these things now every that's, day. That's the amperage or the cost? Uh, I'm sorry, that's the cost. Um, you have multiple employees using these things every day. So it's a it's a a legitimate tool for us. Um, we cannot buy the ones that are smaller, less durable. Um, you know, the 50 to $75 ones, we just simply can't do that. Or we'd be going through those things left and right throughout the year. They wouldn't last. They wouldn't last. So I think you're onto something, Greg, you know, in the 50 to a hundred dollar range, um, of the, the battery pack jump pack that you want to purchase. Um, I do personally, I've seen the small ones and I like things that are tight and tiny um, in terms of putting in your trunk and don't take up a lot of space. Um, and for that matter, there's not a 
big piece of equipment flying around if you happen to get into a wreck. Um, it'd be nice to secure these battery jump packs down, but it's a pretty tough thing to do in your in your in your trunk. Um, so I'm more the the guy. That, uh, you mentioned one that was really small, almost good. Those those it won't fit in your back pocket, but it's those things. I've seen those things are super super quaint and tiny. I, I myself would go that way if I were to uh, uh, purchase one. It's just hard to believe that that little thing will crank up I know, a car. <laughs> I know. And and everybody know most people know this, but it takes a tremendous amount of amperage to start a car. Very little to keep it going. Um, the the start cycle of running, you know, turning over four, six, or eight cylinders, or even ten in some situations, it takes a lot, a lot of power to do that. Um, so starters and batteries work really hard at the start of the vehicle. So another nice thing, I don't I don't remember if we mentioned this last week in this discussion or not, but one of the advantages of these little units is they can also charge cell phones, uh, computers, other kinds of things. So just also from an emergency standpoint, uh, if you're stuck out someplace and you, you need help and you go to use yes. your cell phone and your cell phone's dead because the battery's not charged, yes. you can use one of these things to charge your battery. Yes. That's pretty cool. Yes, it is. <laughs> so look at all the options. I always encourage people, look at the options. You know, you talked about the compressor on some of these that you looked at. Uh, it is nice to have. Most people don't think about that until they need it. Um, and then the the rigors of changing a spare tire on a car um, would be much more difficult than adding air to it from a compressor standpoint. Unless you got a gaping wound inside the tire, you should be able to limp it up to a place to get it mm -hmm. repaired or replaced. Mm -hmm. So Right. So the battery box is a good idea. Now, it probably won't help you if your alternator fails, correct? I mean, it might jump the car, but it's it, not going to. It will get you within a city limit from point A to point B, but if you're coming back from a trip, like I just mentioned before, it's not going to do the job. Um, you'll have to either replace the alternator, or replace multiple batteries throughout the trip. Right. Okay. Well, good thing. I hope everybody goes out and buys one. Yes. Good stuff. <laughs> then, then you buy one and you got to sit around and hope that your car dies. Yeah. So you can use it, <laughs> so you, you know, typical it. man, you can use your tool. <laughs> yeah. You got to try it. Yes. Okay. Uh, let's move on to our topic of discussion for today, which is wallet flushes. You want to describe that word? Yeah, let me describe it. Let me explain to you why um, we're so passionate about this. So wallet flushes. I believe most industries have something like this, a wallet flush. Something that you come in, product, service, whatever it may be, that the person on the other end believes in their philosophical view that you need this or your house needs this or your car needs this or some kind of appliance needs this. Um, they, they have bought into the idea that it is sufficient and they should be selling this to you. So our industry has it. The automotive industry has it. I believe it's my duty to expose these what we call wallet flushes, services you don't need on your vehicle. Okay. And I'm certainly not trying to rat anybody out. I never say anybody specifically. I simply stick to the facts in terms of what your car needs and what it doesn't need. So with that elaboration, let me go into the first one that I've seen in the industry for probably 15 years now. And most everybody on this, on this show has probably seen the little green valve caps on the valve stems of your tires. Okay. What that indicates that sometime that person had nitrogen placed inside their tires. Typically you spend, and I do market research every year. I find out what everybody's charging for all these services, just so I've got it in my, my mind and my guys got it in their mind in terms of what other people are doing. So they'll typically sell nitrogen in your tire for 20 bucks for the set. Okay. It's $5 a tire. Not that big of a deal. You know, it's a couple sodas at a restaurant. People don't think much of it, but all these little things add up to the pennies per mile it takes to operate your car. 
So I started doing some research on it because the reason I did it is we were looking into it. We thought, hmm, looks like a decent revenue stream. We gotta, we gotta look into that. The more research I did, the more I said, I can't look my customers in the eye and sell this stuff to them. Because here's what boils down to. The nitrogen that you and I breathe is, or the air that you and I breathe, I'm sorry, is 78% nitrogen. That's what goes in our tires, most tires on the road, okay? They can only guarantee up to 95 or 96% purity on nitrogen. Not a lot of benefit. So the, the selling process behind it is nitrogen molecules are a little bit bigger, okay? And that the air should seep out less so if you have nitrogen in your tires. Well, that's not correct because if you have a, a wound in your tire, if you've got a hole or if you've got a bead leak, the, the philosophy behind that is to correct the leak that's in the tire, not to change out your air in your tires. It's not going to correct those kind of leaks. If you've got a nail in your tire, nitrogen's not going to help. If you've got a bead leak in your tire, nitrogen, nitrogen is not going to help. So there are two applications where nitrogen is beneficial, okay? And it's something that's not even on our radar screen. Race car tires use it, but guess what they do? They haul in bottles of nitrogen that are 100% pure nitrogen, rather expensive, and they put them in their tires. And they use them to go 200 miles an hour. And what does that do for them, just out of curiosity? Um, I believe, it, what I've read, and it's been a while, it has something to do with temperature control of the tires. Okay, it helps with the temperature control. But it is in no way cost beneficial to you and I running our cars down the road. Uh, the second area that's that's beneficial is um, jets use it in their, their lines, their hydraulic lines. Pure, pure nitrogen, okay? Not the kind of stuff that we sell on the road, but pure nitrogen. So... I always tell people, save your money, put it in a half tank of gas or whatever the gas prices are, instead of putting nitrogen in your tires, save your money. So that answers some of your questions on nitrogen? It does. Okay, good. Yeah. And, and if anybody ever has any questions, they're welcome to get on our Facebook page, any of these items, ask me questions. Um, they can come in and personally talk to us. All my guys are trained on this stuff. They understand it. Um, and again, a lot of this stuff I, we looked into from a, a revenue standpoint for us, but all of it boiled down to the science behind it, and there's nothing that backs it up, period. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Fads come and go, and it seemed like that was yes. a fad for a while. It, it was. And I, I, what's interesting is I slowly see it going away, but there are still places out there that sell it. I see it every, every day. Every year I call all these guys and I say, do you sell it? Yeah, oh, yeah, we sell it. It's 20 bucks. Yeah, yeah, it's 20 bucks. But we don't really sell it too much anymore. So you're right. It's a fad. It really is. So it's another revenue stream for a lot of these, these businesses. Well, another thing I, I've heard some people selling uh, that you should get is fuel injection cleaning. What do you think about that? Absolutely not. Typically, they sell these fuel injection cleanings um, on average $79 to about $149. Okay. And what happens is I was talking to one of my techs last week. He's been there for over 40 years. And I said, explain to me the science behind this and what's going on. Because what the industry's got coming out right now is what they call gasoline direct injection. That will be a case of we will need fuel injection cleanings periodically on those. But you're not going to see those engines like you do with all the other fuel-injected engines. So literally, when the fuel gets injected into the cylinder, it's cleaning the valves anyways. Okay, There's no need for fuel injection cleaning to do this process that's, that's already occurring anyway inside your engine. So clearly a wallet flush clearly a service that you don't need to add to your operating expenses of a vehicle because everybody should, many people don't, but you should have a budget for what it takes to operate your car every year in terms of maintenance and repairs and tires and things like that. 
The industry standard is typically $50 to $75 a month. You should allocate in your budget. Um, all that does, okay, say, say, say you take 120 bucks a year uh, fuel injection cleaning, you had 10 more dollars of that operating expense. What's the point? And I, 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 I want to withhold my cynicism. I still see it in the industry. And what's interesting is when I called a couple of these places around town, one of the advisors said to me, yeah, we sell it, but I don't sell it. I said, interesting. <laughs> why don't you sell it? I just don't sell it. I, I didn't get an answer, but I'm sure there were some philosophical differences that went on in terms of looking a customer in the eye and saying, yes, we sell fuel ingestion cleaning. I'm cleaning. I'd be happy to take care of you on that situation. It's not necessary. And I've had other companies come to me trying to sell their product. And I said, nope. I said, give me the science behind it. Show me in the owner's manual where it is in all these cars that these people should be doing it to their cars. Well, this is good. And that's good. And then I said, let's open the owner's manuals up. Okay, you're right. It's not in the owner's manuals. So a lot of this stuff is deviation from what the engineers of the car, who are the smartest guys that put these things together, we hope, the engineers in the car, and that's what they say the car needs in order for this thing to last a long time and reduce your operating expenses on the components in the vehicle, period. So, and I don't want to beat too many of these too hard today, but I'm pretty passionate about this. So you don't buy into the philosophy of planned obsolescence on the part of the car, car companies? Uh, no, I do not buy into that. Good. I, I do not buy into that. It's a free market. Uh, there are many, many car makers out there, and they're in business to sell their product for many, many years. And they're not in business to sell you a car that's going to fall apart in 50,000 miles, and then you go, hmm, I don't think I'm going to buy another one of those. It's just I, that's what I love about our, our, our country is that people can – they're free to go buy whatever they want. Our system. And dollars are the votes, period. We see that every day. So – all right. How about additives for the oil and the gas? Um, you know, we're starting to see this go away. They're still out there. Um, but first and foremost, the gasoline additives. Any good gasoline company like, and I'm not promoting us, but Shell, Marathon, BP, all of those uh, companies put in additives in their fuel. You don't need to do it. Don't spend the five or ten bucks, you know, every month or two months or whatever it takes to put this stuff inside your tank. It's not necessary. Um, they do it. As long as you stick to the octane rating that is required inside your vehicle, um, you're completely fine. Even in the wintertime and Even temperatures winter are time. 20 below zero? Even in the wintertime because they put that inside their fuel that you don't need to put, for example, heat. Now, we sell it. The only reason we sell it is we've got people that come in and say, where's your heat? Well, you don't really need it. No, I want heat. I said, okay, and we sell it in a convenience store, but we put nothing like that through our shop. It's not necessary. Not necessary. So the other one is the oil additives. You really don't see that too much anymore. The STPs, and that's pretty much gone away. Basically, oil technology, and I'll talk about this in the oil change intervals, oil te technology and engine technology has changed so much that oil is used so much cleaner. Engines, the oil changes last so much longer that you just don't see the need to put in these thick, sludgy additives inside your crankcase. It's just not necessary anymore. Did they ever do any good? I mean, was there a time when it was useful? I yeah, I would say when tolerances on engines and cylinders were were not where they were today, there was probably some benefit to it. Um, but they have got that down so well. Cars are so efficient. You get such good gas mileage on vehicles that it just and they last so much longer. You don't you don't need to put these things inside your engine. So and you don't need to flush your wallet for them. You don't need to flush your wallet. There are other ways <laughs> to flush your wallet. Well, speaking of gas, uh, there's a lot of different gas saving contraptions out there remember the old jc whitney catalog mm -hmm. is that still around to some degree i believe so 
I don't know how it is, but. I know we talked about this before, mm-hmm. but uh, that used to be, what, 30, 40, 50 pages, 100 pages. Yeah. And every page had something you could buy, supposedly to save you 20% on your gas. And the old joke was, if you put all that, if you bought all that stuff and put it all in your car, you would save so much gas, you would be manufacturing <laughs> gas. You'd have to stop at the gas station to unload. Remember that? Yeah, well, <laughs> we, you got to understand, we read a lot in in our company. My dad and I both read a lot, the periodicals that come along. And, and there is nothing compelling out there from a scientific standpoint that goes on vehicles. Um, bottom line is manufacturers are being pushed really hard to increase cafe standards, okay? And if there's something out there that'll help them, they'll do it because they're having to whittle away weight and all kinds of things off of cars in order to you know meet the standards that the government's setting in. And if there's a contraption out there, I say that lightly, a contraption that will help them get better gas mileage, they will do it because they'll get dinged if they don't have good cafe standards on their vehicles. They won't be able to sell them. So I'll, that, that's enough said about that. There's, it's just <laughs> don't waste your money on the gas-saving contraptions. Yeah, that's another thing about the internet. Unfortunately, you see every mm-hmm. now and then uh, the conspiracy theories out there. Yes, you do. <clears throat> it's just amazing. Yes, you do. <laughs> and so, I guess we should just make a uh, New Year's resolution that uh, well, it's past New Year's, but uh, not to pay any attention to that kind of stuff, huh? Um, yeah, you could call it New Year's resolution or a twelve-month resolution, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, just and most people are not; they don't spend energy looking at this kind of stuff. We get that that number of people that are looking at these things like gas-saving contraptions and gas and oil additives. You just don't see that too much anymore. So people you, are, they're learning; they're learning that it's just it's not necessary. So you don't get people coming into your shop saying, "Hey, I saw this on the internet. Put this on my car." Very little, because a lot of our customers just trust um, what we're teaching them about vehicles because. Uh, we're an education shop and I think every shop out there should be an educational standpoint because people by and far don't know too much about vehicles. Okay. So when people come in our door, they expect us to educate them. You know, why are you putting that valve on there? What does that mean? Okay. Well, this is what it means. And this is what it does for the car. It helps with the efficiency, whatever. So when people see these things out in the public, they, they really say, you know what? I trust Beechler's. They're, they're not, and I'm not trying to plug us, but they're not going to send me down the wrong road. Because I specifically wrote a book, and one of my chapters is on wallet flushes, teaching people what to do and what not to do on cars. So it's out there in print form if you ever want to. If you ever want to grab it, it's pretty cheap too. Well, again, this is kind of a sideline, but I think this again speaks to the need of most people to find a car repair place, whether it's Beachler's or someplace mm-hmm. else, or the dealer or whoever uh, that they can have, they can trust, they can have mm-hmm. faith in, and then stay there absolutely so that they get to know those people they get to trust them because especially these days with cars so complex the vast majority of the average person on the street they don't know absolutely and it's not like the old days where all you could do is change a spark plug everybody could do that but it's just not like that anymore it's just so important to find a car repair place that you trust that you can stay with and and it's just it's just a good idea it's a very good idea just like anything I mean, there's a lot of places and businesses that I trust. So um, anyway. Yeah. Well, moving on. How about extended warranties? Extended warranties. That is a, that's a subject all on its own. Not so, just on cars, on everything. On everything, really. Um, I deal with cars because I do, I've done a lot of research on this. I've, I've had, I've seen both ends of it. I talked to the companies. All of our guys have talked to the companies. Um I did research on consumer reports, and here's here's the bottom line number that everybody needs to take away. You know, everybody wants a little a little nugget, a little uh, little morsel to walk away with that they can go out and talk to their friends about. So here it is. So for every thousand dollars 
that you spend on an extended warranty, not the factory warranty, not the warranty that comes with the car when you buy it brand new, but for every $1,000 you spend on a warranty, you get $700 back in return. Okay. So who wants to walk into a gambling casino and wants to automatically lose $300 every time they walk in the door? Nobody. Hey, people do it all the time. They do it all the time, (laughs) but they get a thrill out of that. I don't know what it is. I don't quite understand it, but they get a thrill out of that. But if you sign up, here's how these extended warranties work. You sign up for the extended warranty and they say, hey, we're going to just put it right inside your car payment. Eh, $47 a month doesn't seem so bad for a $1,200 warranty. It's extended out over two or three years time. But or five or six or seven. Or five or six. You're starting to see them as we talked about that before in some radio shows. But the bottom line is it's $1,200 you could put toward your kid's college education, toward maintenance on your vehicle. You know, I, I gave you the number before, 50 to 75 bucks a month in maintenance is what you should expect to pay between maintenance, tires, repairs, things like that that go wrong in your vehicle throughout the year, much less than a car payment. And we're socking 50 bucks a month approximately into an extended warranty and then what's our return on investment? You don't come out in the positive, generally speaking, unless you buy some lemon, but those companies know exactly what they're getting into. They know cars that have problem issues and then the warranty prices go, the extended warranty prices go up. So I've had people walk in my door before and after and they say, Hey, I just bought this car. And oh, by the way, Brad, I, I bought an extended warranty. Oh, why'd you do that? <laughs> and I, I sit there and I, I kind of have fun with it because you can't really sting them too badly because they feel terrible about buying it after you explain to them that here's a return on investment. Seven out of 10 bucks comes back in your pocket. Um, but for the most part, they're they're totally worthless. Now I've had the flip side where people come in and say, hey, I got this great car. Oh man, Mr. Jones is going to make you a great car. There's very little that goes wrong with it. Do the maintenance, do the repairs. You'll get 250K out of it or more. And they say, well, they also want me to buy this extended warranty. And I say, absolutely not. Red flag. You'll never see your money back ever. Okay. I trust your judgment. And it's not just me. It's Consumer Reports, which is a fantastic, objective um, uh, place. You, you're aware of it, Greg. And most people are aware of it. Just don't do it. Save your money. Put it towards something else. Put it toward a vacation or whatever you want to do. Um, but I, I encourage folks not to do those. In terms of what to do with the money, I, I think your idea of putting it away, saving it for repairs, mm-hmm. is probably a good idea. If, if it's 50, what'd you say, 50 or $60? 50, a to, 50 to 75 bucks a month most people spend in their vehicles. In terms of repairs, maintenance, tires, things like that. That's now, what you should Does that expect. include uh, oil changes and yes. that kind of stuff? Yes. Yes. And what's been interesting, I had a customer teach me that about 18 years ago. And, you know, he had a repair on his car and it was back then when I felt bad. But this guy looked at me and he said, Brett, my car is paid for. He said, I put 50 bucks a month every day into every month into an account. And he said, when breaks and things like that happen, I just write a check. And I go, bingo, it hit me right between the eyes. And I didn't even think about it. Because this guy was long away from car payments. He had a piece of equipment that was getting him from point A to point B. And he knew the big picture game. And that guy, I, I totally forgot who it was, but he taught me more in that little five-minute sec- five scenario than I think I ever learned in any of the periodicals that I've read thus far. Similar concept to what we've talked about in the past shows about uh, the car payment itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get the car paid for, but then you continue to make the car payment, but only you're making it to yourself. Pay yourself. Not the bank. Yourself. So then, after a period of time, if you keep it long enough, guess what? You got enough to buy a car. You know, and the problem is our society does not think that way. It's a, it's when you try to teach young kids, and I've taught some kids at my daughter's school um, in a service of fifth through eighth graders. When you try to teach young kids that concept, it's foreign to them. They look at me like, "What are you talking about? Make payments to yourself." 
and you know we've talked about Dave Ramsey and a lot of these financial guys that think big picture um, where you don't idolize your things and your stuff you, you got nice stuff that's okay to do that um, but uh, pay yourself that that payment every month it's pretty cool to watch that money accrue and then what's interesting is I one of my texts has always taught me he said Brett there's nothing like cold hard cash coming out of your hands to pay for something so when you go out and buy a car for 10,000 bucks and you're laying cash out or write a check for it it really hurts but when you're making payments it doesn't hurt anymore it hurts, and yet it also feels good. True. <laughs> in I, some way, it depends how you look at it. <laughs> it depends on how you look at it. But you, but you're right. I mean, if you go into a a, a restaurant and spend uh, forty bucks, it hurts more to pull yes. forty bucks cash out of your pocket than yes, it, it does. You're right. We digress. <laughs> but extend the back to extended warranties. Yes. Uh, typically, when you think of extended warranties, you think of it on new vehicles. Are they available on used vehicles? I oh mean, yeah. So you go to a used car dealer. Are they going to try to sell you extended warranty on a three or four or five year old car almost every time really oh yeah absolutely um it, it's just a money maker for them um i've done the research on this i read a lot of articles and i'm not saying they're wrong for doing what they're doing because the other side of this is part of our um folks out there demand this kind of service on their car because they don't know any better that's what they've been taught through marketing for years and years and years is oh i gotta have an extended warranty on my car it makes me what does it do it gives you peace of mind when you buy that extended warranty and that's what they're selling they're not they're not going to divulge and many of these guys probably don't even know the numbers of hey if they give me a thousand bucks they're only going to get 700 bucks in return and then the other flip side of that here's the interesting part is i've dealt with the companies on the phone when they're we're servicing people's vehicles okay and um when we service these people's vehicles and we call these companies this is what's really funny and they tell these people their deductible is 100 bucks. Okay, well, we call the company and they say, well, we're only going to pay this much for this part and we're going to pay this for the labor. And we look at the customer and we say, hey, here's our fair price that we give everybody. Okay, the difference between what they're going to pay and what our fair price is may be not 100, but it may be 175 bucks. So typically people are not walking out our door paying a $100 deductible because they've, they've got what they call exclusionary um, contracting talk and they exclude this and they exclude that and they exclude evaluation and things of that nature to get down to the bottom of it. So the $100 deductible that they sell you on is not typically the case that in our anecdotal world is what we run into. Most people don't walk out the door paying 100 bucks. It's usually 50 or 75 bucks more. And I feel bad for the customers. I've had instances where they've excluded a lot of things and customers have walked out the door paying more than $200. And I feel bad for them because I, I always ask them, how much did you pay for that extended warranty? Typically, it's a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars they're paying, and these companies are very, very smart, and they don't have big buildings and places and lots of people they employ for losing money. That's a major deal on it. So, just be careful. I would advise everybody on those situations just, you know, politely decline and move on and put that money somewhere else. I can see that you really see as part of your mission to educate your customers. Maybe we should start calling you Professor. Beachler. I'm not a PhD, just an undergrad from Bradley. That's it. <laughs> but you're a teacher. <laughs> I'm a teacher. I think we all should be teachers in whatever we know and what we do best. So, all right, we got uh, just about two minutes left. So, is there anything, anything quick you can wrap up with before we uh, close up? So, we have a few more wallet flushes. We'll we'll touch on a few of these next week. Um, the one we can kind of elaborate a little bit on uh, for next week is um, oil changes. 
if your facility is still changing the oil every 3,000 miles, please tell them to change a sticker to at least four, five, 6,000 miles, whatever your owner's manual says to do. And I know that scares people right off the bat, but that is old school way of doing things. Okay. Um, many of these new vehicles come with, with what they call oil life monitors. Trust the monitor. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about it more in a couple weeks or next week. I'm sorry. Um, and we can give a little bit more information behind that. But if, if you go to a facility and they're still changing your oil every 3000 miles, kindly tell them to change the interval because they can do it. They have most of our, our, uh, stickers, our sticker system. You can change the programming on it. Um, tell them to change it to probably at least four, if not 5,000 miles, our, our facility, we go 5,000 miles. And even then a lot of situations, we get cars that come in and their owner's manual says 7,500 miles. And we say, Hey, we set your sticker for 5,000, but you can go 7,500 if you want. Um, and most people don't do that. They do. Okay. You know, if you tell me to go 5,000 and that's not what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to be an open book to them to say, Hey, here's what goes on. But the key to doing all this is you got to check your oil level. And I, I, I hammer that, um, very immensely. So anyway, we'll talk about it more next week. All right. Sounds good. Well, we reached the end of another episode of the car guy. Uh, it's been very interesting. So good. Professor Brett, thank you very much. You're welcome. My pleasure. And I'd just like to remind everybody that, again, if you would like would like to submit questions to The Car Guy, just feel free to go to PeoriaLife.com, click on The Car Guy, and there is a space there to do that. So thanks again for joining us on PeoriaLife.com. PeoriaLife.com.